everyone. To the CapsCorner.com podcast, CapsCorner.com, your source for the sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CapsCorner.com, coming to you live from the Palatial Franklin States in the west end of Richmond, where it is June the 5th. Um, the, the crew is finally back together. Um, there have been vacations. Somebody moved. Uh, I don't think anyone had any children, um, but maybe we shouldn't uh, go down that road. Uh, we're going to talk about several things tonight. We're going to talk about Bronco Mendenhall's extension. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, Sam Hauser committing to Virginia and, and some of the twists and turns. Talk about paths uh, that that thing took. We're going to talk about Mamadi Diakite deciding that not necessarily, well, I guess it was technically the 11th hour um, to come back to school for his senior year. And then we'll get into some of the uh, rules changes that were announced uh, today as we record this on, uh, on Wednesday. Let's go around and introduce everybody. Up in Fishersville, David Spence is on the show. How are you, my friend? So good to be back, Brad. I'm looking forward to the podcast. Vacation was terrible. <laughs> it's the only thing I could think about. Now, I'm back. Let's do it. Who Dave's on the board at Who Dave's on Twitter. I like how excited you were. That was great. And <laughs> up in Reston, uh, Justin Ferber, also on the program. How are you, my friend? I'm good. Uh, moved. I asked some, uh, if the place had a podcast studio when I was moving here, and they said yes. So I am here. They were a little confused by the request, but um, yeah, it turns out you can just use any room, right? So at Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter. <laughs> turns out. Cavs Corner also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner, great place for the in-game updates, content items, and the occasional uh, retweet about ladybugs moving in uh, uh, a horde. Dude, I'm sorry. Um, look, I, I didn't actually mean to get into it this early. I, I had another spot that I was going to slide into it. All right. The ladybugs were like a thing of 80 by 80. Five Miles. to nine thousand. Crazy, man. It's just nuts. I, I, I'm, I'm so at salty. Least right. At least it's like a docile. True. Animal, it wasn't like right? they were. It, yeah. I don't Shouldn't like there be the, pictures of this, though? They were only 8,000 feet. Well, here's what okay. would have been like. So here's the thing is that I read the LA Times story, and um, God, I feel like I got to put a link in the show notes now. Um, but there's a so basically they they weren't like in a horde so like maybe it wasn't, it wasn't as dense right as exactly like, it wasn't they were dense but like basically they were there and it was enough of them to show up on radar which it, that there aren't people that actually think that those were extraterrestrials is I'm, I, the internet really needs to get with it although now I think I should probably not go read the replies to the tweet that I retweeted okay anyway so Bronco Mendenhall gets an extension um, I believe and and you guys are much more well versed in the. Um, contractual TV, all that fun stuff than than I ever am. I, I thought this was a like a pitch perfect sort of move by UVA to 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 extend him two years, not go crazy, but also to um, you know to there's some sign you know a signification from the um, from the university from the athletic department. Hey, you're doing you're doing a really good job, and you know we want to keep this thing going. Uh, initial thoughts, uh, Ferber. Let's start with you. What, what were your initial thoughts? It, we, we, we got this text that there was some news coming, and this was something you, you thought was possible, right? Yeah, I mean, it's just a dead part of the year. <laughs> but um, And this is something that we kind of assumed was happening anyway at uh, some point in this offseason. But, I mean, the two things you really think about when you're talking about these sort of, you know, just contracts in general are, one, uh, you know, how – does it affect recruiting and what is the long-term security of that coach? Does that coach feel like he's well compensated? All that stuff. The other thing is how big are the buyouts if things don't go well? Uh, how much protection do you have from a disastrous buyout situation like a lot of schools have found themselves in over the years? Um, maybe even you could say UVA at times. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you, you want to make sure that if you're extending, you're not overextending, right? And I think that this specific, you know, contract extension kind of checks both boxes where um, it, it's not necessarily like a grand change to what was already in place, but it does, you know, it's a basically a statement to the fan base, the players, the recruits, the coaches, that things are on the right track and that uh, everybody's kind of on board with that and and that he's basically being rewarded, you know, the extra years because of the progress has been made so far. But at the same time, it's not super over the top, um, you know, just a money play where UVA could get hurt on the back end if, if something goes wrong or, or whatever. Um, it seems like Bronco's here for the long term anyway. I don't really I don't really foresee him moving around, um, but you never know what could happen. Uh, and I think that it puts them in a better position than they were in last week. And I think that's kind of what you're looking for with these. 
I agree, Justin. I mean, the timing was right for it. It wasn't a five-year extension. If I remember correctly, and one of you guys correct, well, correct me if I'm wrong, he automatically gets a one-year at, at the end yeah. of each year. So essentially he got a three-year bump. Um, yeah, it's like a longevity sort of thing or whatever. But yeah, I mean, I think that that had already taken place. Yeah, I think so, that's the automatic thing. So that that's why I like the technical. It's, it's two extra years in this actual release. And I don't know what it does for the buyout language because I haven't seen it. Uh, I, I doubt it makes it drastically higher than it was before. I mean, the way that it reads, it reads as, I mean, I haven't read the contract, but the way that the release reads is that it's not really much of a change from a money perspective. It's just extension. You know, it's not, there's not like a big raise in there or anything that would make me think that there's going to be a significant change to, you know, buyout language one way or the other, you know, whether that's him getting taken by another school and them having to buy him out of the contract or UVA having to buy their way out of it. Yeah, I think it's, it's a good a good move. I mean, he earned it. Um, we don't, you know, obviously he's got to show that they're going to continue to stay on this path, but so far he, he's had two back-to-back or three. He's been here three years, but two years they, they improved, um, and including a big bowl win. Then you have to take into account the, the fundraising that's going on right now, having the head coach that, you know, it's obviously it's Olympic sports, part of this, this new uh, sports complex expansion, but, it's football driving it. So you, having your coach locked up for a couple more years is a good look when you go to donors looking for $180 million. For me, I, I think too, from, I thought it was interesting that there were no financial, you know, um, considerations disclosed or anything like that, which I guess is not, you know, unheard of. I mean, that's probably par for the course, but I will be interested to see once we eventually do, I mean, somebody's foyered it, right? Uh, once we eventually do see the contract, yeah. you know what what all what has changed because what that will do is it will tell us two important things: one, what's been, what's important to the university, and two, what's important to Bronco. Did he get a raise? And they didn't mention it. Did he? Did he? Is there some sort of extra compensation for his assistant pool? Were there some you know some some other staffing elements you know involved from the university standpoint? Did they look to to increase his his buyout? Um, you know, in terms of, you know, if somebody were to come to hire him, because, you know, last year through the coaching carousel, I heard some rumors that Bronco was, you know, at different folks who covered different schools asked me like, hey, you know, hearing Bronco's name mentioned how how happy is he at, at UVA? Um, I, I don't I'm like, I don't think that he's going to go anywhere, um, mainly because he seems he seems really happy with where he is. And it seems like he's kind of, he's kind of gotten all the things he liked about being a BYU with all the headaches he didn't like, if that makes any sense. Um, he, he let, you can tell he's a dude who likes to, to put a vision together and, and try to, you know, make it into reality and, you know, the, the, the master plan and sort of where they're going with the, uh, with the team in general. I just think that it all sort of fits exactly who he is. And then look, I'm not trying to, um, I'm not, try- <laughs> I'm not trying to, you know, uh, just focus on on stuff that that I've written for the site or anything, um, but it it seems like to me, um, like when I talked to Lavelle Davis the other day, I I don't know if I've ever heard a recruit frame, well not just frame recruiting, but the the conversation he had with Bronco that sort of changed his mind, or not to say changed his mind because he he went into that visit thinking he was he was you know that this was probably going to be what he wanted to do, but I've just never heard. Or I can't remember a time when a kid just was so um, matter of fact about the way that, like, what Bronco does and the way he sort of approaches the human aspect of things, both in terms of coaching and in terms of, you know, your relationship with somebody. That 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 that's what he's always wanted, but that schools wouldn't necessarily give it to him, right? That he always felt this like um, disconnect, maybe between the recruiters he was talking to and the coaches. Uh, that he that he saw at UVA, and I mean, look, Bronco seems to be in the right place at the right time, doing the right stuff. I, I mean, I think for a lot of people out there, a lot of Virginia fans, probably it's already going much better than they thought it was going to go. I mean, especially to to especially coming off that first season as bad as that was. Um, so I think you know this kind of extension seems perfect. I mean, if they come out and given him like a new five year deal, I think a lot of folks would be like, wait, you know, is that is that really the right call? But I think it shows it shows everybody's on the right, you know on the right path and, and that's where you want to be. Um, anything else on that before we move to some, some hoops topics? I think that's I'm, I'm excited it. for football season to get here. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, we're, we are in the doldrums right now. Yes, yeah. we are. 
We are in the dead time. Well, lucky, luckily we're going to get to talk about uh, the NBA draft in a much different yeah. way. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and after that, we're kind of into July. And July is really you're, – you're getting into football prep time by then because camp opens at the beginning of August. So You could always – you know, you could come up with a new series where you just talk about football anyway, which, you know, seems to be working out pretty well for us. Um, so Sam Hauser, I believe if I've got the TikTok right, Sam Hauser finally announces his decision. It's going to be UVA. His brother Joey heads to Michigan State. Nobody goes to Wisconsin. Um, what a strange, you know, what is the, what's the grateful deadline, uh, grateful deadline, you know, what a long, strange trip it's been. That one felt weird. Um, and, and in, in some parts, because like right out of the gate, right, the day that they said they were going to, you know, they were going to transfer, it was always, you know, everybody you talked to or everybody you read in the state of Wisconsin said Virginia. Um, I always wondered at the time I thought, okay, Wisconsin's like a small town in, in a lot of ways in terms of basketball, right? Like everybody talks to everybody. Um, I figured, well, if that's what the initial reports say, that's probably legit. And then the more time passed and it's, a, and I kind of got the feeling like, man, maybe this is just some sort of smoke screen. Maybe, you know, this helps them in case somebody thinks that there's, you know, some tampering going on and they're going to end up at Wisconsin. And then the more you talk to people, the thing was really all over the place. Um, but in terms of Sam Hauser, I think we all agree that getting one of the two um, was, and, and especially because it's Sam and he only he only takes the the scholarship for the two years, his set out year and his play year. Um, I think we all agree that that's the best case scenario for UVA. How are we feeling about the addition, and what do we what do we think overall, both for UVA and in terms of you know what Sam means for them? Dave, let's go to you first. I like it a lot. I mean, both brothers are talented players. I think Joey probably has the more upside down the road, but I, and he obviously has a little more eligibility left, but I still think both of them are one-year guys, so I don't know that there's a huge... My guess is Joey redshirts and then has a good year and goes to the draft because it's just because he'll have a little more, you know, a little more buzz. Um, but Sam's game, Sam's really good. He kind of gets, and, and that's kind of the point I was trying to make. Everyone talks about Joey's upside, but Sam is a really good player. Yeah, he he can shoot the three. He's kind of, he almost after a year of learning the pack line, um, he's a veteran presence who's played in some tough games, um, at Marquette. So I look forward to, it's a nice piece to add when Mamadi leaves and when Braxton key leaves, uh, it's hard to find. And it's better than a grad transfer, right? Cause you get the whole year to kind of get him in the system and right. get him up to speed. Right. And, and we had talked about it on a previous podcast, like, you know, it's hard to put a lot of faith in first-year guys, even transfers. Um, but you know, the first-year guys, especially under Tony, like they don't they don't score double digits very often. So, if you're looking for offensive support, which looking at the roster, we will be. He seems like a guy with a year in the system who can come in and and be an instant spark plug, give veteran leadership to what at that point will be a much younger team. Yeah, I mean, I think if somebody's gonna. If somebody's gonna score double-digit points in the in their first year, it's gonna be him, right? I mean, he's and he's gonna probably get better during this off year. I think that the off year will probably you know help him get acclimated to everything that UVA does, and you know it, he's not gonna. I don't think he's gonna be at a disadvantage, you know, practicing every day with this team as they try to figure out their new identity, and then he can obviously come in and and help. It, it's always interesting when you get these sit-out transfers because you get you know, excited in the moment, you know, and then you don't really get to see him for two years. So, I mean, UVA fans will just have to kind of patiently wait while he sits out. But I, I think what he brings to the table, it's all on tape already at Marquette. I mean, he played a meaningful role on a good team, uh, kind of second fiddle, I would say, to Marcus Howard, who's obviously one of the best scorers in the country. Um, I think that he – will probably be, and I, I know I'm projecting a little bit here, I'd say he'll probably be UVA's primary offensive weapon when he plays. Um, maybe like co-first offensive weapon with whoever else. Um, because Just because he's just a well-rounded player, he can shoot, he can score inside, um, and he's a veteran. He's played in a lot of big games. So I think that he's a good addition. And, you know, the we had this debate when they got on the market and – the original thought process was that they weren't going to split up. And we kind of talked about, you know, we, we all kind of went around in circles, I feel like, about this. Because at first I was like, well, they're too good to turn down. 
And then you start thinking, well, the two scholarships really ties everything up. And then Kyle goes pro. So now you're thinking, oh, well, maybe they can do it. And honestly, I think it kind of worked out better this way, especially in Dave's scenario where Joey only plays one year at Michigan State and then goes pro. Uh, I mean, obviously he has the more – he has another year of eligibility and potentially could become a really good player down the road. Uh, Sam is more polished, I would say, at this point, but he's older. Uh, so I think that – it, it might have worked out for the best that they split up. I mean, for both of them and then for UVA as well, that they didn't have to tie up two scholarships because if that was the case, I don't really know how it would work um, this year unless they just, I mean, unless you're just willing to have two guys just not play and then kind of go thin in the backcourt. I think, I still think it's odd they split up. Um, I'm happy they did because I think it works better for, for UVA's roster. I mean, I don't want to jump to conclusions, but it sounds to me like Sam was dead set on UVA and Joey just didn't really have that same feel. Yeah. Um, and Sam was like 100% convinced that this is where he wanted to be. So he kind of just was like, well, if you want to go somewhere else, this is where I'm definitely going. Um, <laughs> and it's weird because they kind of pitch themselves as, you know, to other to schools as, as being tied together. Um and you can – I understand why. I mean, they play together. They're brothers. I get all that. Uh, it's just interesting that they decided to go different paths. And it almost makes you feel probably better about it just because, you know, maybe they, they just went for the pure right decision rather than going as a package deal. And yeah, also, I, I believe that Michigan State only had one scholarship available. So. Yeah, you don't you don't want a disgruntled guy you know, who's not happy about being there. Yeah, you don't want your, you don't want like your one of them to be like we're going to the Wisconsin and the other one's just kind of there because you know they didn't want to split up. Exactly. Yeah. Well, the thing with them and too, you got to be kind of mindful of is right. So the the Wisconsin situation seems to have developed because of some ways that Bo Ryan staff treated Sam during his initial recruitment. And, Which is bizarre because he was like a big time prospect. Yeah, exactly. But for whatever reason, Bo and them didn't like him as much, and so you know there were some really hard feelings about that. And I wonder if that not necessarily what happened in terms of Wisconsin, but it just in, that it happened. I wonder how much that colored this thing because once once Sam was at Marquette, Joey going to Marquette was kind of a done deal. Um. So now you have that experience, right? And you can say to the kids, like, hey, why don't you go somewhere that you're really wanted? You know, like, you don't have to worry about waiting for School X to, to make you feel special. Find the school that fits you and the school that wants you. I'm not entirely sure, and I'm not trying to, like, I, this, is, this is not, like, this is not little birdies whispering in my ear. But, like, my, my read of this is that almost, because you mentioned that Michigan State only had one scholarship, I almost wonder if UVA wasn't really just recruiting Sam. Because... It would, it would have been incredibly difficult to take two scholarships and tie them up. Not only would you, would you hamstring yourself in terms of n trying to find talent for now, right? But then you're hamstringing yourself for the 2020 class. You're going to basically give yourself one scholarship, and neither one of the guys that you're bringing in that you're having to sit are guards. And that's what you really need. Um, I, I just think that I, I almost wonder if – the scenario, the way it broke was actually the right way, which is Joey goes somewhere where he's wanted and needed. Sam goes somewhere he's wanted and needed. Everybody goes home happy except Wisconsin. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I do think the fit is really nice. I think I'm really curious. Think about that team, right? So you have Kihei Clark, Casey Morsell, uh, Wolda Tensai, uh, Hauser, and then whether it's Huff or Shedrick or Huff Shedrick or Kafaro or whoever ends up that fifth spot. That's an interesting group if you think about it. That's a that's a good amount of length, a lot of shooting. Um, you know, Morcel and, and Clark actually I think are going to be really fun to watch together because of the way that they kind of their skill sets uh, mesh. Um, I don't know. I think that's a really tough offensive lineup if they can play some defense. You know, that's a it's a really good group. So I think you're right. I, I would not be surprised to see Sam stroll in there and, you know, kind of, you know, I don't want to say demand the offense, but kind of drive the bus, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, he's just a veteran presence that has an ability to score. And honestly, if you just compare that to what they have on the roster right now, they don't have that. Like, I mean, for that season. I mean, I know we're going way down the road now. I mean, you have a Juco transfer who was really good in, in one year, at, or I guess he played two years, but this year. Um, you have a point guard who isn't really a scorer yet, but who knows, maybe he develops that. You have a freshman who hasn't played college basketball. 
you have Jay Huff, who has played well, obviously on offense, but in limited minutes, he's never had to you know play starters minutes. So, I mean, I think that you need a guy like that if you're. We've already kind of talked about this coming year being a bridge year, and that maybe the next year's team has a higher ceiling, um, the 2020-2021 season. Um, and I think with him in the fold, I mean, you have a much more complete, like a, a sh- I guess, safe team. If, if that makes any sense, like less bus proof or more bus proof than, than if you didn't that have. Makes, yeah, that makes sense. One other thing on Hauser before we, we move, I, I, I don't mean to do, to um, impugn whoever Wisconsin's strength and conditioning coach is, but Sam Hauser having a year for Mike Curtis to get him ready. Um, I watched what Mike Curtis did for Joe Harris, and I will not be surprised to see uh, Sam Hauser take a, a similar sort of uh, step forward. Um, from a you know, from a flexibility standpoint, from an athletic standpoint, I just think that Joe was um, a very different player. I remember coming; I think it was top one hundred camp, and I came out and he was. I don't know if he was finishing up a workout or if he just like randomly went and dunked. And I just like I did not know that you had that in you. Um, I could definitely see you know Coach Curtis doing something similar um, with Sam. Uh, speaking of next year and that bridge year, it it, it went from muddy and rocky to not nearly as bad when Mamadi Diakite announced his decision to return to UVA. I think this was the, the eventuality a lot of us sort of thought would happen. Um, but then with Mamadi, I used to joke that, you know, with Bronco, you always had to leave like 10%, 15% of a, of a chance that he'll just kind of go his own way. Mamadi's definitely like that, right? Like Mamadi is a different kind of dude. Um, and so even that day, even the final day, like I would, you know, talk to different people and like, you'd get seven different reads um, from folks who generally are all on the same page. Um, it goes without saying that having Mami Diakite back is a very good development for UVA. But I'm curious to talk a little bit more in terms of what it means for this specific team. Um, how do we think Mamadi's return changes things for UVA, and what does it mean from an X's and O's standpoint for this group going into next year, Dave? It's huge. I mean... Look, if you, Mamadi's been up and down during his career, but you know, we've seen bigs under Tony kind of flourish in their, in their senior year, and you know, we saw Mamadi flourish in the NCAA tournament in the highest pressure situations. Now, whether he can control his emotions and and do that night in and night out is what we need to see for the course of the season, especially without Ty and Kyle, um, and Dre there to kind of to kind of hold him down. But, I, but I, my, my hunch is, you know, he's matured because of what they went through last year. And then just the process he just went through, like he probably got a lot of feedback about needing to stay, you know, not have those bonehead moments and, and not let his emotions get the best of him. And we, we've read his story. Like, you know, he wants to, he wants to play professional and help people back home. So I look for him to be locked in. And if he is, and, then it changes it dynamically because look, Jay Huff has a lot of potential and um, Kihei you know, has, was a great floor general last year, but now he has to do it without two guys who can handle the ball and score elitely. Um, is that a word? Elitely? I don't know. We just made it up. Elite tourist. This is a podcast of the university of Virginia, one of the <laughs> premier <laughs> academic institutions in the United States. <laughs> Thanks for that. Um, so, so I think he adds, you know, he adds a, a more given, you know, a known quantity to a lineup that without him, it becomes even more unknown. And so, I mean, I think he, and I, you know, I think we can look for his, his scoring to improve, which, which will help because um, we've got to replace a lot of scoring. But the thing I think he offers right away is not only his veteran leadership, but He's such an eraser on the back end. So when you've got these new guys, you know, Braxton Key's a good defender on the wing, um, and Kihei's a good defender, but you're going to have times where it's Jay or Kerfaro or, or Statman or Walden Tensai. Um, they're all going to be on the floor at some point. And Mamadi is so good at kind of the weak side shot rejection. He's going to help erase some mistakes early in the year, and I think it makes the defense better as those young guys get used to playing the pack line. So, I mean – I don't know that Virginia could have gotten a bigger recruit, you know, you know, unless Kyle Guy had come back too. What do you think, Berber? Yeah, I mean, 
what Dave said about the defensive impact is probably the, the key thing, right? I mean, I think that his return kind of escalates their projection on, on that end of the floor, really, just because I don't know. You know, we talked about that the front court being kind of raw still, and, and obviously he's not that. And he kind of showed in the NCAA tournament specifically that he has the ability to kind of make big plays on the on the back end of the defense, like Dave said, and and kind of make up for mistakes. And like we see that a lot with with guys at the rim, and uh, you know we've seen that with other UVA defenders as well. You know, like Isaiah Wilkins, I know was known for, you know, kind of if somebody made a mistake, he could kind of overcorrect and get the get the whole you know pack back on track. And I think that his ability to to rebound the ball and block at the rim is going to be huge for this team. What he can do on offense, I think, is the real question mark. And, I mean, obviously they're better off with him than without him, but he's going to be in a different role this year probably where he's going to be more of a primary go-to option. And, you know, his touches were kind of – I don't want to say they were few and far between because they weren't, but his his role was more of a – you know, he was a – kind of a collaborative player, you know, like a complimentary player. Um, and now he's going to be probably asked, I don't know where we're going to get necessarily out of all these new guys, but um, he's probably going to be asked to step up from a complimentary player to a primary scorer. And, you know, if he can continue to develop that mid-range game that he shows off sometimes, you know, he can make those shots, but the percentages probably need to go up. Um, Brad is the champion of the Mobbity miss shot. I'm good with that after after he misses every shot. Um, he needs to make he needs to just make more of those percentage wise. Um, and I'm good with a lot of those shots too. Um, but I mean, if he can start to do that as well as what he can do around the rim, then I think that it definitely raises the ceiling for what this team is capable of. If he's the same Mobbity as he was last year, then that still helps them quite a bit. All right. First off, I. I He's absolutely correct because I do say that every time he misses a shot. I'm, like, I'm good with that. Um, it's, it's like it's it's so it's like old faithful. Like, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Um, I can feel it coming like before you even say it. And honestly, half the time I'm like, yeah, that was a good shot because he's wide open. And he, um, it's not like he's. A, it's funny because he doesn't knock him down, but he, he it's like it's like it his, looks right. It just looks so good, right? Like Mamani has a shot that just looks like it should go in every time. Well, you know? part of it is he he doesn't really take people off the dribble. They're set shots. So usually he's, you know, they're they're yeah. Good he's got look. room and rhythm, and he's he's yeah. you know, he's cool. But um, sometimes they're a little early for me. Like you know, it's like that's probably not that's a low percent. Like him shooting a three is a low percentage shot. Yeah. Um, and I think and, that and might make, be that might makes be, him something. That might be part of why he actually decided to come back. I'll be really curious once we get to, because I was thinking like you, you sometimes these guys, you know, NFL, NBA, like they they test the water or they get their feedback or whatever. And then they don't want to talk about it, you know? Like, they want to keep that part to themselves. Mommy will probably talk about all of it because Mommy just has no filter. Um, but one thing about Mommy coming back, like, today mentioned that, you know, you, you have this defensive presence back there. He, where he was at the end of the season, like, some of the games that he had, man, like, if he did that with any consistency, it's as close as we've seen – the pack line be since Akil, right? Like, I mean, Darion was there to some extent, but man, Akil was like on a different level. Just his ability to sort of innately flow with the defense, you know, flow and and like he he sometimes would be out of position, but for the right reasons. If that makes any sense, Mamadi has that kind of potential. Uh, and and Tony has talked, you know, has mentioned a lot. He, I feel like last year he mentioned all the time. Hey, he's still relatively new. Like he he's still kind of getting acclimated. This is the year where the rubber has to meet the road, and I mean he's got all the talent in the world. It's the consistency piece that he's got to put together. Um, but I think it changes. I think it changes a lot for UVA. Not only does it mean that you you get some experience um, back, but you also have like I think Mommy's good for the for the team because Mommy's both like like in terms of his personality, he's super open and funny. He's not scared. Like, the, like him staring that kid down from Oregon. Like, mommy doesn't play. Like, he's a jovial, you know, kid with a really bright smile. But you know what? He's got a little dog in him too. Um, and sometimes he, you know, he directed that too much at himself. And you know, as he went into the postseason, I think he he got that thing pointed in the right direction. Um, so I think that's good for this team because they need to have some guys. You know, with Ty gone uh, and Kyle gone, they really need to have some some voices in that locker room that one, the younger guys will look to and, and respect. Um, 
and then two that 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 are not afraid that that will go out there and just and leave it all out there on the court. I think Mamadi is that dude, um, and I think the team is markedly better with him um, than without him. I know there are a lot of people who are like, well, you know, Mamadi leaves, you could use that spot on a grad transfer, what have you. And I'm just like, no, no there's there's no. nobody that's. I mean, and, and then you have to take into account like the fit with the pack line and all that. Like, you're not going to find anybody better. I don't think. I mean, unless somebody comes available that wasn't previously, like it's just not worth it. And you're probably not going to get the same level of like fit with the rest of the team as you would with Mamadi anyway. True that. Any uh, anything else on that um, before we uh, we move on, Dave? You were kind of quiet over there the last. No, minutes. I'm just going to say, I, you know, I pre- I appreciate Mamadi like dragging it on and causing me to look at my cell phone for hours on my vacation. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, in a in a country where I could only get updates when I was near Wi-Fi, so it was, it was kind of funny. And you know, he kind of deserves it because he kind of was the the I don't want to say he was the forgotten man of of the of the four who tested the waters, but um, you know, he kind of was in the shadow of Kyle and Ty and and Dre. So you know, he he got he got his moment, and next year hopefully he'll shine some more. One thing I want to mention before we completely move on um, from this is. The 2018-2019 Virginia Basketball Media Guide, the fact book, there were five people on their cover. Jack Salt, Kyle Guy, DeAndre Hunter, Ty Jerome, and Mamadi Diakite. And at some point before Mamadi announced he was coming back, I looked at—I remember looking at this thing going, I wonder if they've ever had a year where they have five dudes on the front and none of them played the next year. You know? Like how, how weird that would be. Um, but to have him back and certainly to— um, I mean, like, I like— I, I, I think if you're going to do it— Like, if you're going to give— personnel folks and execs and scouts and whoever the opportunity to see you you might as well get all of it right there's there's a certain value into saying um nope i'm going to come back to school i'm not going to you know test the waters get your information and then instead of doing all the workouts say you know what you can come watch me play you know in the acc but by doing all these workouts there is a you do risk right having a lot of people who are in that business picking you apart in a way that can be can be a good thing if you if you develop and, and you answer a lot of those questions and can be a bad thing think about like how many kids have been like top so-and-so picks and decided to come back to school and then they you know they didn't have nearly as good a year or what have you and then all the the narrative around them is like ah well you know he's really not that good you know his arm's not this or you can't do that you know there is some risk of that so i think for mommy to get as much as he could i think that was probably the right call given that he was already in the situation you know yeah it's kind of funny that you know, Ty and Ty and Dre pretty much made it clear they they were gone. Um, then you had Kyle and Mamadi who were testing the waters, and Kyle pretty much day two, like this next day it was like, yeah, I'm gone. And then Dre was, I mean, Mamadi was the very last one. So the extremes of those two guys are kind of hilarious. Um, before we move on to our last topic of the evening, let me take our uh, our break and talk to you a little bit about Thorium Wealth. Uh, the Caps Corner Podcast brought to you tonight by Thorium Wealth. Do you own a small business? Do you have a hard time finding partners to help with the kind of things that, that you face every day? Thorium Wealth is the business owner's financial partners. Data-driven personal service focused solely on the needs of small business owners makes Thorium Wealth different. The advisors at Thorium Wealth have spent more than 35 years working with the unique financial challenges that business owners face every single day. Unleash the power of Thorium Wealth to help you and your business grow and prosper. You can visit ThoriumWealth.com for more information and full disclosures. That's ThoriumWealth.com. T-H-O-R-I-U-M Wealth.com. Our thanks to Thorium Wealth for their support of this show and all of CapsCorner.com. All right, so there were some rules changes that were perfectly approved today. Good timing by the NCAA. Uh, that basically, the, the two main changes seem to be that the three-point line is going to be moved back uh, to the international distance and the uh, shot clock will now reset to 20 seconds after an offensive rebound. Um, so a longer three-point line means more space between the 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 lane and obviously the the line itself, as well as what that you know a twenty-second clock means for you know offenses trying to trying to generate offense after getting a, a second chance opportunity. How do we feel about these, and and specifically, what do we think it does for UVA? I, I want to talk about UVA first in the global sense, and we'll dig into next year what it means for you know nineteen twenty. Uh, in a minute, but in general, Ferber, let's start with you. What do you think of these changes, and what do you think this means for UVA? 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's just like the rest of the changes that have happened in recent years, the shot clock and other stuff. I think you kind of have to see it play out to really understand what the impact is going to be. I think the uh, shorter shot clock on the rebounds is, is perfectly fine. I think that, you know, kind of keeps the game moving a little bit quicker. And honestly, if you've had the ball for 25 seconds and you get an offensive rebound and you get 20 more seconds, I think that's plenty of time um, once you're already in the half court. So the three-point line, I think, does have a really direct impact on UVA, maybe more so than a lot of other teams just based on the defense that they run, right? I mean, the defense is basically designed to, you know, eliminate penetration and and make teams take contested threes, and now there's going to be a little bit more space on the floor. So, you know, UVA's defense, either the pack plays it the same way and maybe the the three-point line is a little bit more open, um, and and maybe guys just have to get further out to contest, or maybe they'd stretch it, which could end up you know allowing driving lanes, which I think would be counterproductive. I think that you're better off going with the former approach, which would be to kind of play it the same way and, and just try to close out better and and remember that you know the three point lines further back, so the percentages should drop some. Uh, I mean, I didn't, I, I don't really have a problem with the three point line moving back necessarily because it's not like a huge shift. But uh, it could have a marginal impact on, on how many threes UVA allows. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how that changes UVA's defensive approach. Because the counterbalance that could be like maybe teams get a little bit more space to take threes. But then with the, the line being further back, they don't make as many. So they end up kind of playing in UVA's hands. The, um, Dave, before you answer, I want to I make sure we get the, the facts. So in 2000 and... Um, and eight, they moved the line um, from uh, let's see, from 19 feet nine inches to 20 feet nine inches. So basically, they moved it back a foot. The three-point percentage made during that season um, it declined from 35.2 the previous year to 34.4. It's back up to 35.2 in the 17-18 year. So I think this is sort of aimed now that they've gone to 22 feet one and three-quarter inches. Um, that's a you know that's a, a it's a pretty substantial difference, right? It's not just that one foot. Um, and I mean, it just, it, it seems to me that the NCAA is trying to do the right thing here on a number of fronts. I, I'm just not sure if, if, if they already had the data that says that it's going to increase back up within, you know, seven, eight years, what, what are they going to do? They're going to keep pushing it back or, the, or is this just going to be the international line is the international line and we're just going to stay there unless the international line moves. What do you think of these changes, Dave? And, and how do you think this impacts UVA? I mean, uh, I'm a little surprised they announced it now for next year. Like you, maybe that's fine. Um, before I get to the UVA thing, like it, it seemed like something like this would be, you'd be giving like a year plus warning, right? Because it's a pretty big move. Um, you know, one one foot before, one foot six or seven inches, whatever it is this time. There's not a whole lot a coach can do to restructure his roster now. You know, if so, I don't know. I mean, what I guess that's what the NCAA does. Um, so for UVA, I think it's a trade-off. Uh, obviously, the pack line, you're not going to extend out and cover guys without the ball that are standing outside the three-point line. If anything, um, the defense was hoping guys would move out further than the three-point line before. So if now they're going to naturally kind of be out a little further, which will help you. You'll just have to make sure, you know, have to continue to recruit guys on the wings with length who can recover quick. Um, my, but the, I think the thing you'll see, at least short-term, is you know, the big, the guys who aren't great three-point shooters aren't going to be making as many. So if not many teams have more than one or two guys who can are elite shooters. You know, Virginia was a rarity last year with three. Um, so for the most teams you play, it's going to going to benefit you greatly. I think the way it helps Virginia is the other teams, the way they play defense, the teams that play ball pressure and man pressure. Now you can spread them out even more. Um, so you're going to, it's going to be a little bit easier to dribble drive on those teams than it was before. Cause they're going to have to cover more ground. Um, just to stay with their principles. So I think the pack line fits it a little more than, you know, a man pressure defense would. Uh, as far as the 20 second shot clock, I'm not, you know, reset. I'm not a big, I don't, I don't think that affects Virginia as much as people might think because 
if anything, you know, Virginia doesn't crash the offensive boards very hard anyway. But when they do get offensive rebounds, I'd have to chat. I'd have to stat it up. But I am pretty sure that's one of the, Virginia gets quick. That's they seem to shoot quick off of offensive rebounds. Um, yeah, because you have to remember that part of part of the slow pace is UVA walking it up. Right. Like, exactly. So I mean, there's no walking exactly. it up when you're already in the half court, and then there's yeah. no reason a team should need 30 more seconds to shoot. No. Like and. Well, it, it, yeah. late game situations, it does. It it it, it also one one byproduct that they don't talk about in this release is that in a, in a late game situation, if you do get an offensive rebound and you're trying to run some clock, you're not going to be able to run as much, right? Yeah. Um, and it does. It will change the dynamic a little bit. And I'm, I granted, I mean, we're I know we're not going from you know a mountain to a molehill here, but in if you you see what I mean, like in the end of a game, team team is the leading has the, gets the ball back. Now you only have to wait. You know that twenty seconds is still a long time, but you know what I mean. Like it, it does change the calculus of that just a touch. Um, yeah, my guess is a casual fan probably would never have noticed that. Um, yeah, yeah, you're yeah, so excited like, to get the do ball. Do you guys back. know what they reset the shot clock to on um, like jump ball situations? Now, uh, no, yeah, isn't it fourteen seconds? In the NBA, I don't know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, in the no, no, in the in the in college game, if 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 the offensive team retains, the shot clock remains where it was. Right. Yeah. Okay. Right. The NBA does a fourteen. And if it goes the other way, it's thirty. Right. Well, yeah. If it's the other way, it's just a possession. Uh, right. Let me let me cover but, the other. There are a couple other rule changes. Um, coaches will now be able to call live ball t- uh, timeouts in the last two minutes of the second half and the last two minutes of any overtime. Um, previously, they were not allowed to call any live ball term timeouts. Although that's that's just not true because you could totally see coaches calling timeouts and it's just a rest. technicality. You know, you exactly, exactly. Uh, and also, the panel approved a proposal where the players who will be assessed a technical foul should they use derogatory language about an opponent's uh, race, race, ethnicity, national origin, religion, gender, gender expression, and a whole bunch of other stuff. So basically, how is that not already? A I was thinking the same thing. I was like, whoa, you could just say that stuff. Uh, so, so, I mean, realistically, the 20 seconds to me, and to talk about UVA specifically, I'm kind of like Dave. Like, I, I think it's – all right, can I, can I give a hot take? Where, how, many long, how long are we into this? We're like 40 minutes. Wow, we made this into a 40-minute podcast. Um, it is so lazy to look at UVA and say, oh, UVA plays slow, so therefore any changes to the clock, oh, what's UVA going to do? All right, just stop. Like, no. I mean, if, they went from 35 to 30 on the shot clock, and people don't even remember that anymore. Right. Not to mention, and then UVA won a freaking national championship. All right? Go home. But, like, like, if you think about it, if you can only give the other team, like, like, take North Carolina, for example, right? North Carolina wants to play fast, but North Carolina really needs that time off the offensive glass. Like, one of the things that they do is they attack the glass. Now, I would imagine that most of the shots that North Carolina takes after North Carolina gets an offensive rebound probably happen within 20 seconds, right? The idea that now you have to go, who's that going to bother? The team that's used to, you know, used to forcing, you know, getting a, a shot late in the clock, or the team that has to go fast, right? Or the team that that needs the 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 the, the second chance points because their half court offense, you know, struggles. I I think that the, 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 these two rules in in conjunction with each other, I, I think it's a perfect situation for UVA. I think you won't see Tony change up anything. Kids will still close out. Uh, they'll just have to close out harder. Um, the I do think that it's going to really benefit teams because of longer rebounds that that rebound well on the defensive glass. And typically UVA does pretty well on the defensive glass. The 20 seconds after the the shot clock, other than or excuse me, after the offensive board, other than like the random people who are running the clock in various arenas throughout this country who are going to mess this up for a good 3 months, right? Other than them, I mean I I think in the big scheme of things it's not going to change a whole lot. But I, I can definitely see a scenario where teams like UVA, which are you know historically not teams that need to worry about it much, are not going to be that impacted by it. Um, I agree with I think it was David said it that basically when UVA gets an offensive board, UVA typically tries to you know take it pretty quick. Um, so I think these these specific changes are going to be fine for UVA. Now let's talk about this season specifically. So this is a team that doesn't have a lot of experience, right? So guys who you might feel really comfortable taking a shot late that all those dudes are gone right um i mean at this at this point who's your crunch time guy on uva's roster next year and the, the right and that it, that it, that silence that you heard is indicative of everyone right they're just gonna have to figure it out it's gonna be casey Morsell. um I, i'm gonna be such a stand for casey Morsell. y'all have no idea 
Um, but like for a team like UVA without that kind of guy, without that clear alpha, um, like I, I could see that being a, you know any change like this, especially the three point line, because these are going to be guys who largely are going to have to close out longer distances. Um, and I, I would I can see Virginia having and being impacted next year, you know, in in some in some significant ways. What do you guys think about this specific um, club that Virginia's going to? I mean, I guess technically we don't know for sure what they'll be because they could add a grand transfer um, between now and the start of the season. But or what are we what are we thinking about the rules changing for the next year? I, mean, I don't know if it. Does. Go ahead, Justin. Yeah, I was just going to say the three-point line maybe affects things marginally, but I don't really think either of them. 20 seconds is still plenty of time to run an offense. Like, it shouldn't matter. If you can't score in 20 seconds after you already had 30, then you don't deserve to score. <laughs> Next. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we don't know what this team's going to be like shooting the three-pointer because our best three-point shooters just left, right? Um, so, I mean, I think the only thing you can say con well, with any confidence of, about – how this affects next year's teams is it probably decreases the likelihood that Kihei becomes a reliable three-point shooter for the team next year because um, you know he can hit the three but it wasn't a strong suit so but now he's got to hit it from a foot and a half further back um, so I, I think the chances of him seeing market improvement in his three-point production is lower uh, and how do Marcel and Walter Tensei adjust to it does Braxton Key shoot from it um, the interesting thing is what is it affect how does it affect Jay Huff? Because if Jay can hit from this new range and all of a sudden you've got the guy covering Jay Huff twenty-two feet from the basket, um, that really opens up the lane because you have to assume it's a big coming out with him. So I mean, I, I don't know that it affects Virginia any more than it affects another team just because there's not much you can do to what your roster is and everyone has to play it. Um so and, and the twenty seconds, yeah, I don't think that matters much at all. I think the big thing from from this rule change isn't so much, you know, the three point line or anything. It's not neither one independently. It's just now they're going to essentially, if you play it out and you've got the three point line out further, you're going to have more spacing, which means more dribble drive. Then you've got a shorter clock on the offensive rebounds, so it's more possessions there. So to me, what I don't like about this rule is there's going to be more chances for officials to become involved in the game. There's going to be more fouls called because there's going to be more drives. There's going to be more, little, a few more possessions. And I'm not high on the level of officiating we see during the regular season, especially. Um, so there's going to be games where you know, a star player has three or four, you know, has three fouls early in the game just because there's going to be more driving opportunities. So uh, that's that, that I think we'll, we'll end up talking about more than the lawn being moved out. Yeah, and then also like how does it affect offenses like right. um like the blocker mover for example, do you use that in a more wide open court or do you try to do different things like, you know, continuous ball screens? Just because you know with like blocker mover you're kind of it's so tight, tightly wound around the paint. Like I don't know if that I mean maybe it opens things up more for the for the movers, but it seems like um, you might want to do something that's a little bit more open, but it just it just depends. I mean, we'll just have to see how it plays out and how much space really is developed there. Because even in the NBA, I mean, they've had that three-point line for a long time, and it still took a long time for teams to play the way that they do now. True. Um, one, I think the biggest thing, the, the final thing I was going to ask, Brad, sorry, was my question to both of you guys, does this line moving – make Tony Bennett's three-point percentage record safer than Cal Ripken's <laughs> consecutive games. Uh, no, I don't think it's no. safe because I think that no. the more, like uh, 15 Fif- years from now, we're going to have a league full of Steph Curry's. True. Because now yeah. kids are growing up wanting to shoot threes instead of dunk. Yeah, it's like once they found out they could, they were like, all right, well, let's do this. Um, yeah, I think it'll become it'll become like a thing where people are just shooting the ball better in the next couple. Of, not and nobody's Steph Curry. I mean, he's like a transcendent talent from the three. But I think that you'll see a lot of guys that spend a lot of time working on off balance shots and you know just deep shots and stuff like that. Yeah, they're gonna have to widen the court eventually. Mm. That's gonna have to happen. Yeah. I think so too. I mean, I think that eventually the game will just get the, the court will get bigger, and eventually there'll be more space, especially in the corners. Oh, um, got to be. Yeah. 
I mean, I think we've t- we may have talked about it on the podcast before, but an NBA game now is essentially like five grown men going to play on eight foot rims. You know, five <laughs> normal grown men playing on eight foot rims. That's what it is. And well, I mean, it almost kind of looks like it. It looks almost if you watch like a college game or highlights, and then turn on like the Warriors. It's kind of like watching soccer or something almost, <laughs> yes. where it's like it's so wide open. Yeah, and it's they're just so the people are so far apart. Oh, they make that's why people that's why the people always think that NBA players don't play defense is because <laughs> there's so much space like out there on the court. It just looks like people are getting these wide open shots, and it's just it's just the way it is. There is probably a little bit less effort on defense, though. Maybe not in the playoffs, but um, one one quick note before we wrap up, I, I do want to say I'm not entirely sure that this is going to have the desired effect that they think it's going to have. I think they think that they're going to you know percentages are going to fall and people are going to be less likely to take them. I don't necessarily know if that's going to happen. I just think that dude's going to have dudes jacking up shots from uh, from a line that's a little bit further away, um, because that's just sort of where it is. You know, everybody. You know, the the game is so dependent like, on the three point shot. You know, why do you want less threes? Like, I don't understand. That. I think I think the idea is that like make it longer, so therefore there's more space. But I just don't think that it's going to have the sort yeah. of design um, thing. Uh, I do want to mention before we wrap up. Um, we are now a part of the Fanatics affiliate program, which means that if you hit the link that's in the show notes of your podcast app right now, or if you use the link that's inside the uh, content item for this episode, you can not only hook yourself up with uh, plenty of gear, whether that's UVA National Championship for basketball, UVA National Championship for lacrosse, or you know NFL, NBA, whatever. If you use that link, uh, it helps support the site, uh, and we very much appreciate it. Um, speaking of... I want to thank everybody out there for continuing to support the show. Uh, if you're somebody who found the website, found the show through the website, thank you very much for giving us a listen. If you don't mind, look us up on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, wherever it is that you get your programs. Uh, give us a rating or review. Always helps to get us out in front of more people. Uh, the algorithm is king. If you are someone who's found the pod but has not given us a look at the site, check us out, CapsCorner.com. Right now you can check out uh, a couple of our football recruiting updates. Uh, I caught up with 21, uh, excuse me, t- class of 2021. God, I'm old. Offensive lineman Tristan Lee, a Virginia legacy um, kid who I think has all the makings of a of an elite prospect. Uh, talking a little bit about his spring visits and sort of where things are for him in, in a recruitment. I think that's going to get crazy. Um, I also mentioned earlier Lavelle Davis, the six foot six wide receiver that committed on Saturday. Um, dude, that was just a tremendous interview. That kid is that kid's the real deal. So you definitely give that a look on the football side as well. Our new Looking Ahead series continues to move forward. Ferber just did uh, running backs. As you listen to this, um, we'll have the wide receiver group um, this afternoon, so give that a look. Um, And then I've also got a primer on the site for next week's Top 100 camp. Um, We focus mainly on the four uh, top targets, but there are a bunch of names that we're going to be tracking next week, so uh, don't, uh, don't miss out on that. Um, so like I said, I want to thank everybody out there for their support of the show. I uh, also want to thank Dave and Ferber for giving graciously of their time. As always, I very much appreciate it. For David Spence and Justin Ferber, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon.